Aloha. Aloha. Um, grew up in Hilo, you many of you know, and I grew up in a Christian family. My dad was a kahu, and we grew up in a denomination that was what is known as the prosperity gospel, and what that means was we were heavy driven on new signs, new wonders, uh, modern day miracles, um, and all this stuff, and we emphasized on a lot of mysticism and emotional outbursts, and you know, not all of it was wrong, but um, a video came out about a year ago, a documentary called The American Gospel, and it and I want to encourage you guys to watch it. It's the first hour is free on um, YouTube, but it gives some clarity about what the prosperity gospel is and how it's evolved for the last hundred years, specifically in America. I know some of you uh, see this Hawaii as a kingdom still, and so whatever the case is, the connection with that, I want you guys to do that. But I have the DVD right here, and uh, our our alakai, our elders, have looked at the DVD. And we've watched it, and we feel like it's a powerful platform for the clarity of the gospel. Um, there's a lot of churches meeting this morning, and they may line up with prosperity teaching. And we believe at Ohana Church that if, if a message does not point us to Jesus, right, his work, his manifestation here on earth, then we aren't preaching a clear gospel, at the same time, we believe that God's spirit is alive and well. Can I get an amen out there, right? And it's active and is working through us. We believe John 14 and chapter 16, where he says he will send us a helper and he will convict us of all sin. He will remind us of everything that Christ has taught us and also that we would be regenerated by him based on what Titus has said by the washing of regeneration that God is, dwells in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so I grew up in this culture, and um, there wasn't social media, there wasn't much books on prosperity gospel, but there was televangelists that preached in this direction and all that. And to me, it was the norm, it was regular. And then I went to the mainland, and I went, I went to the opposite extreme of denomination that I grew up in, and, and I was really loved to Jesus by a preacher from Alabama, um, and he planted a church in Vegas and really ministered to my heart, and it's where I feel I really was regenerated, where I became a believer in Jesus, was in Las Vegas, Nevada, fall of 2002, and really started this journey of what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. And what now, we've been going for the past year to the Gospel of Mark verse by verse, Right? And we landed on chapter 6. And for me, growing up in a prosperity gospel, you know, this is, these are the chapters, chapter 5 and 6, that I look forward to because there's a lot of physical healing going on. But there's balance to what's happening in Jesus' ministry of healing. And ultimately, Jesus healed people. But, but what we have to look and account for that Jesus' main ministry was to redeem those who were lost to himself. And so Jesus used his healing ministry as a platform to communicate the gospel, the good news. And why is there good news? Because there is bad news. There is a fame framework that the prosperity gospel starts with that we really have to denounce. And it's the framework that Jesus, that God loves you. It doesn't start there for us. The gospel starts with a framework of sin. That God's wrath is on you right now. Therefore, that's bad news because you've sinned against the holy God. And because of that framework of sin, you need good news. Does that make sense? 
And so Jesus is here preaching the kingdom of God as we see in our verses. But as we move on to the day, just three, four short verses, we're going to see why Jesus healed people. Would you turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 6, starting in verse 53. You may account that last week we talked about Jesus walking on water, doing some incredible stuff, right? Miraculous things. Now we're moving on from that walking on water setting to Jesus going to the opposite side of Galilee to continue on his life of ministry. Would you stand with me in the reading of God's word? The reading of God's word starts off here in verse 53 of chapter 6. It says, when they had crossed over from Bethsaida, right, they came to a land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore, came close to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately, what, recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many had touched it were made, say that word with me, well, Lord, give us comprehension, give us understanding. Thank you for your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, and God's ohana says, amen. Noho ilalo. Maybe seated. We must understand the location that we are talking about specifically today. The location that Mark, the author, explains is a location by the name of Gennesaret. And Gennesaret is not a big name, right, in the New Testament, but it was a foundational location to one of the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those 12 tribes you may know is the Naphtali people. The, the, he, Naphtali was a son of Jacob. He was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they settled in this area. And some of the things we know about the tribe of Naphtali, the tribe of Naphtali, right, were people of war. When you read the story in Judges of, of Gideon and his soldiers, these were the people group, the Naphtali. They were constantly in battle. But Gennesaret was an opposite picture of the lifestyle of this tribe. Gennesaret was considered the Hawaii of Galilee. Can I get a witness out there, right? It was the paradise of Galilee. A lot of vegetation grew there. So a lot of people, when they rested there, they longed after war and after battle to come to Gennesaret. It was a place of abundance, a place of sweet wine, a place where people gathered together and enjoyed painas, party time, right? And they had a great time together. And I believe what it, what it pictures right now in the idea of a Christology view, the study of Jesus, is that it pictured redemption, right? The, the battle of spiritual warfare to this long, this long suffering of coming to know Jesus and, and coming into a relationship with him. And just like Genesaret provides a physical, beautiful location, so does Jesus provide an intimate love relationship with us. And so my main point I want to drive today is that Jesus delivers hope to us. Can I get a witness out there, right? I want to read that out loud. Read it with me. One, two, three. Jesus delivers hope to us. I want you to understand the original language of the word hope, 
right? It's not the way we use hope. Like, I hope I get that pay raise, right? Like, it's a superstitious kind of hope, right? The hope in the original language is talking about an assurance, a promise that this hope that we talk about is obtainable because of Jesus. And there's really two defining things I want us to talk about with this hope. Number one, Jesus gives us a hope we can see and we can touch. Can I get a witness out there, right? We can see, look at our text today, specifically in verses 54 and 55. We see people, they, they see Jesus. And when they see Jesus, the word Mark uses again from last couple weeks' chap verses is that they recognized Jesus. What did they recognize? Well, from chapter 1 to chapter 6, we see all these accounts of what God had done for humanity, specifically those who were Jews and those who were Gentiles. Let me break it down for you. The events of Jesus from chapter 1 to chapter 2. In chapter 1, we see Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. Uh, number two, we see in chapter one as well, Jesus heals a man from leprosy. Can I get a witness? Amen, right? Number three, Mark chapter two, Jesus heals a paralytic man. Number four, Mark chapter three, Jesus heals a man with a deformed hand. Some of you would have remembered this if you've been with our verse by verse study the last year. Number five, Jesus calms a storm, right? Number six, in chapter five, Jesus heals a demonic man, a woman with an issue of blood, and bring back to life a 12-year-old girl from her deathbed. And lastly, as we learned last week, Jesus feeds 5,000 people, right? And we know that the number was larger, but he took, uh, he took loaves, a few loaves and a few bread, and he multiplied it, and it said at the end of the story that 12 baskets were left over for people to take home. And it said in that text that they were satisfied, not just by the food, but they were satisfied by Jesus. Are you satisfied this morning, right? Some of you may come from a different background. Are you satisfied by Christ? Or are you satisfied by something? Or you're not satisfied. Maybe you're like that rock and roll song that I can't get no satisfaction. Can I get a witness there, right? Because we determine our situations by what we go through, right? Our, our life, right? A theological comprehension that, that God must be mad at me if I'm not experiencing phys good physical life. And that's not the truth. Jesus always preached everything that's physical is the result of things spiritual, and so we're seeing some good fruit being pressed out through the life of Jesus. But here's two things we see when people recognize Jesus. Number one, it brought people together. Now, one thing I, I love about Hawaiian culture is that our culture brings us together, right? Whatever the cause is, right? Funerals, whatever the case is, right? Uh, activism that's going on the Mauna, whatever the case is, things bring us together, right? And the one thing we celebrate is, is family, is ohana, I'm telling you. And you guys will do what you can to invest in those times. I don't know how some of you can afford those graduation and first birthday parties, but you guys afford it. I don't know what's going on behind back doors, but I mean, I, the, some of the things, like a black and white graduation party, I mean, all white, like everybody's wearing white in Nani Loa, and man I, know, man, I know that costs a dime to rent out Nani Loa nowadays, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they, they went from 5,000 cockroaches to a couple now, right? They moved on up, 
right there. And I don't know how you can afford it, but you make a big deal about gathering together. Gathering together is just like this place called Genesaret. We're encouraged, right? We're filled with abundance. We feel that's what gathering does. There is one of our missions is that we focus on the family, the family of God. And anybody, if you're not part of the family of God, I love Hawaiian culture, you can be Ohana. Even if you know more our koko, you know more our blood, bro, we, we can hanai you, we can adopt you, just like how God has adopted us. And when these people recognized Jesus, right, it brought them together. Verse 54 says, and when they got out of the boat, right, when they were doing ministry, right, the people immediately recognized him and ran about whole regions, whole regions. Now, I don't know if we have it on the screen, but there's a map of what these regions look like. I want to show you what Genesaret is, all right? Genesaret is in the top, for me, the top left for you as well, but they came all the way from the top right, Bethsaida. They were tra- this was Jesus' ministry, healing ministry, going from town to town, region to region. Right here, when they landed in Genesaret, these people recognized Jesus, and they went to all these surrounding regions, okay? And when they went to all these surrounding regions, what happens when you recognize Jesus, they bring people together. Sunday is a main platform. We have used Sunday in our culture for many years, centuries ago, for the worship of the saints gathering together, thanking God for his redemptive plan. For We still practice that together because we have recognized Jesus, and when people recognize Jesus, they are brought together. Look at the influence of this hope, right? This hope was not stored. This hope was shared. This hope was motivational. This hope was life-changing. The author of Hebrews says this contextually, hope anchors the soul. Can I get a witness out there, right? That's what hope does. When we have hope, right, we have motivation. When we have hope, we share it. When we have hope, it's life-changing because hope changes us from the inside out. But secondly, right, it brought people to Jesus. Can I get a chihu up in here, right? Right? Like, like, that's what it does. When we recognize Jesus, it doesn't just bring us together for the sake of bringing us together. It also brings us to Jesus. The text says that people went above and beyond just to get other, other people face to face with the Savior of the world. Right? With the Savior, I want you to think about that. I want you to evaluate your life. If you recognize Jesus, right, does that bring people together? And secondly, if you recognize Jesus, does that coming together bring people to Jesus? We said it a few weeks ago, right? When can our relationship with others connect their experience with us to Jesus? Like I can coach football all day long, right? And that's all it is, is football, right? I can be a counselor all day long. And that's all it is, is helping character after character. But the role of our matter is that when we recognize Jesus, we come together to point people to Jesus because that's what hope does. I want you to see this quick video on what it means to be a traitor and how they put the spin on this idea of how hope brings people to Jesus. It's It's up on the screen. You and I might spend about 70 to 80 years on this earth Not long when you consider the timeline of eternity. Have you ever wondered what life is all about? Every day we get bombarded with the message to pursue the things of this world, 
Make money, get stuff, be comfortable, live well. More, 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 and me, me, me. That's the prevailing message of our day. Our generation has a hijacked version of the American dream. But as Christians, we know deep down this distorted view of life isn't real life. We read what the Bible teaches and we see how Jesus lived. Every day we face a choice to pursue the me, me, me mindset of the American dream or to pursue Christ. What if this generation was willing to trade in the pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ to be traders? A trader is a new kind of missionary, not defined by geography. Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you're on makes you a missionary. Being a trader is a movement that requires us to live out our faith, not just talk about it. As a trader, we must choose daily to sacrifice and be intentional with our time, money, and skills. We can be like the Good Samaritan in the parable. When we're on the road of life and see someone in need, we choose to help. We follow Jesus' instructions to go and do likewise. A trader must hate injustice and find specific ways to bring the hope found in Jesus to desperate situations. It's easy to identify what you hate. What makes your heart break and your fists clench? A trader sees work as worship. Everything you do in life, including your job, can be an opportunity to worship the God who created you. Because God is glorified when we use our God-given passions and skills with excellence. And finally, a trader must act swiftly because the time is right now. The result of all this would be a generation of traders who are making choices with their time, money, and passions that are kingdom-focused and not self-focused so that our short time here can have an eternal impact. When you hear the definition of trader, a trader is a new kind of missionary not defined by geography, where you live does not make you a missionary. The mission you are on makes you a missionary. Being a trader is a movement that requires you to live out your faith, not just talk about it. We call this in the last couple of years missional domains or missional engagement, where we, wherever we live, wherever we spend most of our time, energy, and resources, that is where we trade our lives for the world, right, for, for Christ. This is what it means to be engaged in the life of mission, that because we've recognized Jesus, just like these people recognize Jesus, it is our joy and it is our gift, right, to share Jesus with people who lack hope. Because if it's true hope, when we recognize Jesus, then it brings people together. And if it's true hope and, it, and people recognize Jesus, right, they point people, more people, to Jesus, but in our text, we see that Jesus gives us a hope we can see and we can touch. But lastly, secondly, Jesus gives us a hope that we can hold on to. I want you to see verse 56. I want you to see how the author Mark gives us an encouraged hope through these words. It says, and wherever he came, right, wherever Jesus went, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched, uh, as many as touched it, were made well. Now I want to give clarity to this verse because this verse actually addresses some of the prosperity gospel healing. Uh, some people will make money, televangelists, by sending rags 
and, and anointment oils and all these things that they can touch and pray over and put over their body and, and for a cause and be healed by it. I want to be very clear that the healing is in Jesus. Amen? The healing is in what the Word of God says. The healing is not in a physical substance. We may have seen this in Old Testament and some New Testament practices. We believe at Ohana Church the healing is completely Jesus. This is not a mystic feeling or emotional uh, process where we uh, prostitute the gospel to make money off of the gospel for the sake of people trying to feel better about their issues when in all reality we know not everyone on the face of the planet gets healed. We know that physically. We know that. We can see that. But I want you to see a word that encourages me this morning from this verse. Jesus gives us a hope that we can hold on to, and it's the word well. It's the last word of verse 56. That word is the Greek word sozo, and it actually means salvation. So when the author was writing that they were when they touched the garment and that they were well, it went beyond just physical healing. The word sozo, constantly used in the New Testament, means that they were actually rescued and saved spiritually by Jesus. Can I get a witness out there, right? And you may say, what is the connection? That is why we are a verse-by-verse preaching church. You have to understand that Jesus is always consistent the way he heals people in his ministry life. We have to go all the way back to chapter 5, right, where, with the woman with the issue of blood. I want to read this portion for you as we end our time today. It says, And a great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and he came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Some of you may remember this account. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made what? Well, sozo. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing, that, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. This is a sign of genuine like repentance to me. And told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your what? Faith has made you what? Well, sozo. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. There's power in the name of Jesus. It wasn't touching Jesus that healed this woman with an issue of blood. Jesus says it clear what made her well, what gave her sozo, salvation, right? What was it? Faith. And Mark is a 
quick brother. What does it mean? He writes very quick. He doesn't give every single de detail like the other gospels. What he does give is a connection with consistency in the walk and life of Jesus. So how was these many who were put in the marketplace healed? How were they well? How did they experience sozo? Very clear. They had faith. They had faith. What does this mean? The hope that they had produced faith in the God that made them well. How does this apply to our life today? The gospel matters. We must be traitors of death and be possessors of life. Traitors of death and possessors of life. Life in who? Life in the Son of God. Jesus, who gave up his life for us. Not that we had any value in us because we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. What can a dead man do for himself? Absolutely nothing. That individual is dead. This is what makes God's grace and mercy and love much more sweeter. That in his sovereignty, God has lavished his love on sinners. But I want to address something real quick, okay? There's this word called asceticism, right? Like ascetics, like monks and seals. And what we tend to have, what tend to happens in the Christian life is that we tend to beat up ourselves because of our sins. And so there's a one side of salvation that we understand that, man, we're depraved, we're sinful, apart from God, we can't do nothing. And, and like we beat up ourselves because of that. But I want to remind you, God didn't stay dead on the cross, Hawaiians. He didn't stay buried. He rose again. And if you recognize this kind of gospel, this should motivate hope in your life today. This should motivate hope in your life for your marriage, for your children, for your church, for your co-workers, for, for wherever you live life abundantly. This should give you hope because hope points us to Jesus. And I want you to hear very clear, very clear today. Nothing you do or don't you do, right, listen to me, can ever get you in right standing with a holy God. Jesus has done that for you today. And he does that through the power of his Holy Spirit. And God is most glorified. Listen to me. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. I want you to hear that very clearly. This is not my quote. I'm not smart enough, right? This is John Piper. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Oh, but Kaho, you don't understand these foster kids I get today. Kaho, you don't understand my spouse. He's been married to him for 30-something years, and he's still not changing his ways. Listen to me. The people recognized Jesus. They found hope in Jesus. And that hope motivated them to share Jesus with others. 
And it may not look like contextually like Sunday morning church. I get it. Like this is not, if you go around the world, like where I've been in our church, it doesn't look like this for a lot of Christians. We're actually more minority the way we have church up here. Right? But the reality is, listen to me. When we have hope in Jesus, it brings people together and it brings people to Jesus. And here's the two things that happen. For those of you who have experienced that kind of hope and that kind of experience, right? Two things happen. Number one, wherever you're going to church, you stop serving in the church. Whether church pissed you off or somebody in the community pissed you off, whatever the case is, right? You just stop serving. And secondly, when you stop serving, listen to me clearly, we stop belonging. And when we stop belonging, everything that Jesus did and continues to do is overshadowed by our circumstance. I want to encourage you guys. If you see those action steps taking place in your life, go back to the time where you recognize Jesus. I remember when I was a little boy, my dad, Kahu, Kahu Frank, right? He was a loud preacher, one of those Pentecostal ones, you know what I'm saying? Fire, love him. But what he said on the pulpit wasn't what got my heart to be his son, right? But what he did with me every morning at 6 o'clock since I was on bed is what transformed my life, and I do it to this day. And at 6 o'clock in the morning, every morning, my father would lay his hands on me and my sister. Ulu Michael was leading worship up here. And he would pray heaven down on us. Because he recognized Jesus. My dad is a first-generation Christian. Do you understand Hawaiian, Hawaiian history and all that? Right around the late 1800s, a lot of our... Hawaiian people in our genealogy walked away from the Lord, no longer served the Lord, no longer even worshiped the Lord. And many of them in my family, there's a low amount of people who follow Jesus today. Um, and I'm praying that, that God saves it. But when, when, when Daddy recognized Jesus at a 35-year-old man in Palisades, Oahu, that hope brought him to people who shared that same hope. Just like these verses. And that hope, right, brought my mama to Jesus, brought my siblings to Jesus, and eventually, as the young Kolohe kids of the bunch, brought us to Jesus. Because that what true hope does. It's not superstitious. Boy, I wish God would rescue this people. It's a hope that confirms to us that God, you will save them. Why? Because the word says that those who recognize Jesus came together, and when they came together, they brought people to Jesus. They had something in common, a holy God who faced sinners and took on the penalty of death and gave us life in his son because of his sovereign grace. Today, would you receive that hope? Some of you may have gone through five generations of Christianity. You, you're sick of the setup, the, the, the normality of it, whatever, the, the semantics of it, whatever the case is. Let's go back to the basics. 
of Jesus. Let's recognize who he is. He is a God that heals. He is a God that redeems. He is a God that feels. He is a God that restores. He's a God that never lets go, that never gives up. Even in his justice and his wrath, he is calling sinners to repent and to trust in his name, to see him for who he is. God in the flesh, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the God that saves Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Would you receive him today? Would you find your hope in him today as our alakahi come to the front? Would you pray that prayer with them? Number one, would you ask them for, for prayer? And, and nothing wrong with coming up there and, and putting you on a pedestal. It's just the way we would like to respond. Old-fashioned school, altar call, right? Now. Secondly, you can stay where you are. You can sing these words of affirmation about praising the name of Jesus. Third, I would encourage you, but listen to me. Before you leave this room, don't let your, your pu'uvai, your ha, don't let it be distracted by what's going on right now. Receive God's spirit. Receive his mana, his power, the hope we have in Jesus. Receive that today. Would you stand with me? God, we love you. We receive you by grace through faith. We didn't get this grace because of what we brought to the table, God. We got this grace freely from you, God. So as we hope in your name, bring us together in unity. As we hope in your name, bring us together so that we can bring people to Jesus. We love you. And we sing loud and proud these words. And God's Ohana says...